I'm going to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. And we have, as was mentioned, already been in a series called Dangerous Prayers. And really that song that we just sang kind of summarizes everything we've been talking about. Because it really it comes down to the, like the dangerous prayers, and we've looked at several different ones. The one we're going to look at today is in Isaiah 6, and, and we see that Isaiah, that this prayer is, is like a response to God. So his prayer is an answer to God's request. And as we see this prayer, like the other prayers, we've asked God to make us bold. We've asked God to search us, to try us, to test us, to reveal sin in our life so that we may may repent of that sin. We've asked God to bless us knowing that what God wants to do in, our, in, in blessing us is this for us to bless others and to give, get, to give back. And last week we asked, it kind of got a little more heavy. Last week we talked about, Lord, break me in Mark chapter 14. But really they could all be summarized in one word. And the word that we just sang about, it's that word Surrender. That's a, it's not a great word, is it? Like what we just sang is a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous statement. It's a, it's a dangerous place to be in. And as we said, I stand with my hands raised. That's the easy part, right? See, it's easy to, well, maybe not easy. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you're not, you weren't supposed to do that. So I get that, like there's, it, it's a different heart, I get it, right? I didn't even, that wasn't in my notes, so. I, I, let's take a vote real quick. Do we think that Shelly had in her notes, pop in circumstance? <laughs> who, said she, who said she did not plan that, it just happened? Okay, who said she planned it? All right, the not planned it has it, all right? That's what team I'm on. Shelly, you could set the debate. Yeah. She had it planned? Yeah, it was not planned. I knew it. You could see on her face like, did I just say that? <laughs> I know that face because I see it in the mirror every day. Now, when I think about this idea of my heart raised, but what's the next line? My heart abandoned. Like, I, I'm going to... I'm going to abandon everything. Now we're talking dangerous, aren't we? And that's what this series is about, Lord. Like, not my will, Jesus prayed, but your will be done. And so if you're uncomfortable with, like, another message on surrender, you might as well walk out now, okay? I'm just giving you a warning. This is what it's about, and, and it's prevalent in Scripture because that's what God asks of us. And remember this, God is never going to ask you to love anyone more than he's already loved you. God's never going to ask you to sacrifice more than he's already sacrificed. And so to surrender to God's plan and his will for your life, although it may seem dangerous, difficult, when we think about it in reality, it's, it seems like maybe it's the least that we could do because of what God has done for us. And hold that thought, because that's what, if I remember my notes, that's what we're going to end on today, okay? 
Today the prayer is about availability. Now some of you were probably alive when you heard this famous quote. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what your country, what you can do for your country, right? Who, who was alive when that was stated, all right? Who has no idea what I'm talking about, okay? Hopefully you listened in history class. 1961. JFK, January 20th, being inaugurated as the president. And it was a shift of focus from what is the country going to do for me to what, what can I do for my country. And we won't get into politics, but we probably ought to get back to that way of thinking, right? But let's think, let's think in a different perspective than this morning. As we, t- as we talk about prayer and dangerous prayers, maybe for us as members of Hallmark, if you're a member of Hallmark, maybe the prayer for us as a church member should be, well, if we just change a few words, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. And there's a shift there, right, from being a consumer to a contributor. And the unfortunate thing is that church culture in the 80s and 90s created what we now term as a consumer Christian. We created that in the seeker-sensitive movement. Like, you know, it's easy for us, and while it's really difficult or maybe easy, depending on your perspective, in the Metroplex to find the church that, that fits everything you want, right? You can agree with me, okay? It's okay. That, and that's a kind of, it feels normal, it feels natural, but there's a shift. Well, let's, let's take that a step farther when we when we talk to God, our creator, the one that we are supposed to be following and serving and surrendered to, it's not ask what God can do for you, it's ask what you can do for God. And while it'll transform your prayer life, when your prayers stop being about what we've been talking about, like my possessions and my protection and my provision, to God give me the power to speak on your behalf to live a completely surrendered life because it goes against everything in our nature to say, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus, fully God and fully man, wrestled with that exact same thing, don't you think we probably do also? Like, it's not natural for me to say, not my will, but your will be done. I'm a very selfish person. And here's what I know. You are too. Right? Let's be honest this morning. So it's a dangerous prayer. I've said this often, and I will continue to say it often. I believe for every person in the room this morning, God has a next step for you. God is asking you to do something. He doesn't want you just to, as the old term in church was, to sit and sour in the pew, right? He wants you to do something. So maybe it's to serve, and maybe it's to give, and maybe it's to give your life to Jesus Christ. You've been putting that off. Maybe it's membership. Maybe it's to walk across the street and tell your neighbor, hey, Jesus loves you, and get your plants off. No, no, we're not going to say that. Jesus loves you. Stop there. But there's a next step. God is calling you to something. That's what I believe. And I think that we naturally are going to answer God's call in three ways. And we see them in Scripture. The first in Jonah chapter 1. Remember when God came to Jonah and Jonah, God told Jonah, asked Jonah, hey, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. What was Jonah's response? 
Yeah, no. Jonah arose, verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. From, twice it says in verse number 3, that when, when God came calling to Jonah for his next step, Jonah's response was, here am I, no thanks. Scam likely on your phone. Anybody answer that one? Some of you just give people a hard time, right? Scam likely. And I wonder today if you would ask yourself the question, is there an area in your life where God is calling you to something and you have said, no thanks, not me, not now, not ever, quit calling. The, the third, or the second response I think we often have that may be more natural for some than others, in, in Exodus chapter 4, God came to, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and Moses kept giving him excuses. Nope, nope, I can't talk, I'm not good. Who would I tell him to send me? All, all, the, all the excuses. And then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, he, he takes it a step farther, and he says this. Moses says to God, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand. What does it say? Whomever else, like, send him, not me. Like, it's either here I am, no thanks, Jonah, or Moses, here I am, you got the wrong number. You know, not me, call that person. This, you know, this is the call where is a recording. How many of you get the recorded phone calls? And apparently they're very concerned about my car's insurance. And I, I mean, it's the last time they're going to call, Right? Wrong number. I wonder if right now God is asking you to do something and you're like Moses just making excuses. Lord, that guy could do better than me. And I think we, we often focus on our inabilities instead of focusing on the God who gives us our ability. Like, what do you tell Moses? Hey, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. It's the new John version. <laughs> hey, hey, moron, I made your mouth. I can make you speak like I want. I like that, Moses the moron. It fits. <laughs> My mom probably doesn't like it, but I, I like it. Quit looking at who you are. Remember who he is. And maybe... Maybe this speaks to you today. Because again, I, I think God is speaking to everyone in the room on some level. There's a next step for you. And some of you are saying, no, I'm going the opposite direction. And some of you are saying, you got the wrong number. Talk to that person. The third way we might could respond, and hopefully we will respond, is Isaiah 6 Verse number eight. 
Here's what Isaiah 6, 8 says. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And let me just say real quickly that this request, whom shall I send and who will go for us? This request actually falls on the life of every single believer in the room. You don't have to have a direct audible voice of God to tell you to go tell people about Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been commissioned and you have been empowered to go tell people about Jesus, okay? So this is not like, oh, it's not me, okay? This is for everyone. Everyone in the room should respond as Elijah says, then Elijah said, here I am, send me. So if you are waiting for a direct call from God to say, hey, people are lost and need Jesus, you already have it. It's called the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 1, it says you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So go do what God has called you to do. That's bonus information for you today. What I find interesting about Elijah, or excuse me, Isaiah's quick response Did I say Elijah already once? I knew my wife was giving me the stinky eye and I was like, I don't know why. I wanted to like check my zipper or something. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Honestly, I did. I just like pull my shirt down. Isaiah, okay. Could you say Isaiah with me, ready? All right, now there's no confusion. That doesn't mean I won't mess up again, but there's no confusion. What's missing from Isaiah's response is questions. Notice what's absent. He didn't say, where am I going? How far am I going? When am I going? Do I get paid where I'm going? Is it going to be safe where I'm going? Are my kids going to like where I'm going? There's a lot of questions you could have asked, right? In, in fact, later on, after he says, here I am, he, he asks, well, how long is this going to take? He does ask the question, but the question is after he answers, God, I'm available. What God needs from Christians today is for us just to say, yes, I'm available. Whatever you want, I'm here. Send me. You can tell me where I'm going afterwards. I'm just willing to go. Isn't that scary, though? I think it seems potentially it's a little scarier in the context of of this local church because we have watched people from this local church go all over the world. Like, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. I, I get it. But what is God wanting from you today for you just to say yes? He doesn't ask all the questions. And I wonder if we could get to the place like Isaiah, I almost said Elijah, Isaiah, and just say, sign me up. Is there something in verse 1 through 7 that would give us some principles that we might be more willing? Look at verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, and we're going to stop, okay? I think it's important to notice the context here. We could go on a lot of history about King Uzziah, but we're not going to take time to really dive into deep to that. But I think we could summarize. So the king dies, and every time there's transition, transition always leads to more transition. You know that, right? And so in this time of transition, one word that almost always in any type of transition will come up is that there's uncertainty. 
So what, what Isaiah is saying in this time of uncertainty, have you guys ever lived through a time of uncertainty? Like in our country, a time of uncertainty. In our church, a time of uncertainty. Potentially in your marriage right now, there's a time of uncertainty. Maybe with your kids and they're graduating. Oh, wow, there is a lot of time of uncertainty. Maybe your kids have gone in the wrong direction and there's a time of uncertainty. Maybe you have a health checkup this week and there's a time of uncertainty. Could we agree that we live a lot of times in uncertainty? So in times of uncertainty, we have to look to God who's consistent, who's faithful, whose mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He cannot change. He cannot lie. And, and maybe that'll help us breathe a little bit. But, but I think it's important to know that that Isaiah is saying, I'm living in a time of uncertainty. That even in the uncertainty, God comes calling. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphims, or the burning ones. Each one had six wings, which two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And the first thing, three principles here. If we're going to listen and we're going to be responsive to God's call, first is we must look up to God. Because a proper view of God changes everything. A proper view of God changes our perspective. I love this just maybe to give you a little bit about how my, my brain works, I love the picture here. It's like, it says, one cried to the another and said, like, I feel like there's this chant going on. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And then the other side says, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. It made me think of when I grew up in a small Christian school and at the basketball games, it was like this Christian school against that Christian school, and we would always say, do you guys remember this? Maybe, maybe some of you have this memory, some of you don't. And one side of the gym would say, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And everyone would go over there. How many of you did that? Please, please, somebody, raise your hand, all right? <laughs> and then the other side would say, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And I was like, I remember being in middle school thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and then we would finally say, we got more. We got more, right? Like, oh, we trumped you guys. Then I also remember as a little kid singing the song, hallelujah, 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 and what's the rest of it? Praise ye the Lord. And then there would be praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Some of you are like, whoa, this is, I've just walked into a cult right now. Like, this is really creepy. You should see Carlos's face. He's like... He's, he really was, wasn't he? Carlos, look, he's like, where am I at? Now, I remember as like a third grade boy singing that song because the goal, if you don't know, the goal was to be the loudest. And, if you were the, and it was usually the girls against the boys, and for some reason there was always more girls. And then I also got mad because one of those was always louder than the other. 
I mean, I'm so, it makes me mad just thinking about it right now. I got to stop and breathe. That made me mad, really. They're cheating. They're cheating. Anyways, there's so much things I could say, and I'll choose not to. But listen, it doesn't compare a gem full of crazy Christian school kids. I think of the power of the angels of God crying out. There was such power. What happened? Everything shook. Did you know that power and that presence of God is available for you every single day? And I'm afraid that sometimes we're not so willing to say, here I am, send me, because we haven't spent much time in God's presence. And I think proximity to God leads us to availability for God. God is a good God, isn't he? Let me read this for you. Let me get my old people glasses on first. I'm crying and I can't see, so. Meditate on his character. Consider that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Scripture calls him God of glory, the great I am, the righteous father. God is our fortress and salvation, the eternal king. He's the God of all comfort, the God of grace, the God of peace. He's almighty, both compassionate and gracious, consuming fire. Feel the power of his presence. If the spirit dwells within you, you can say with confidence, he is my rock, my savior, my stronghold, my God, the one who blots out my sins. He's the God and comforts me and and heals my hurt. The king of the universe is my advocate. He's my comforter in sorrow. He's my confidence when I'm unsure. He's my strength when I'm weak. God is my helper, my hiding place, my hope, my light. He's my refuge in time of trouble. He's my song. He's my strong deliverer. God is holy, set apart, perfect in all glory. Holy is God. He cannot look upon sin. So holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him in his purest essence and live. And this holy, otherworldly God, he's slow to anger, abounding in love, not just for mankind, but for you. That's the God. We have an opportunity every single morning, every single moment to enter into his presence. And I wonder this morning if a lack of our availability has mostly to do with the lack of time we spend in his presence. When Isaiah saw the splendor and the majesty and the power of God, he looked up. Secondly, he looked in. And what happens when we look in? So I said, Woe is me, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal, which had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Listen, a proper view of God leads me to a proper view of myself which leads me to repentance, which leads me to grace. Let me say that again. A proper view of God 
leads me to a proper view of myself, which leads me to repentance, which leads me to grace. Aren't you glad that Jesus forgives our sins? And maybe you're not available to God because you have never experienced the grace of God. And this morning, what I want you to know is this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die and take your place. We sang about it, he hung on a cross. My guilt, my shame was placed on him. Your guilt, your shame was placed on the cross. Jesus took on our sins so that we could have salvation. And just like when, I let, when Isaiah saw himself, when Isaiah saw his sins, when he saw the holiness of God, it led him to repent. Woe is me, I'm a man of un, unclean lips, and I live amongst the people with unclean lips. And his confession, his repentance led, symbolically here, to being set free, forgiven of his sins. And maybe this morning, God has revealed to you that your next step is that you just need to give in and say yes to God. I'm gonna place my faith in Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness of sins, and for eternal life. And maybe that's the step today. And something's been holding you back, and something's been making you not. And I'm just saying, maybe today is the day of salvation. Maybe today is the day that God, you say yes to God. In, in fact, before we move on, I'm gonna ask everyone just to close your eyes for a moment. And right now in this moment, maybe God has revealed to you that you need to cry out to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, for salvation, for a home in heaven. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer right now in this moment. If you want to cry out to God and place your faith in Jesus for salvation, for forgiveness, just you talk to God. And you may say something like this, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I confess, Jesus is Lord. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to save me. As our eyes are closed, is there anyone this morning that say, John, I prayed. Right then, right now, I just gave my life to Jesus. Would you just put your hand up? We're not, I'm not going to call you out. Just, just put your hand up right now. I prayed. I gave my life to Christ. Anybody like that this morning? Just put your hand up. And if that's you this morning, please tell someone about it. You can scan the QR code and let us know. You can fill out the card that's in front of you. I'll be standing in the foyer at the end of the service. We would love to celebrate with you. All right, you guys can look up. God is good. And all the time. Number three. First, look up. Next, look in. Third, look out. I don't mean like, oh, danger's coming, look out. I mean like, look out to other people. You see, when he got a proper perspective of God, it led him to repentance which led him to grace. And if you've truly experienced grace, you'll want others to truly experience grace. And so when Elijah, excuse me, Isaiah had this experience with God, I can't get over it now. 
When Isaiah had this experience with God, it changed him. And being in the presence of God led him to just say, God, we said the same thing last week. I surrender all. Today, I surrender all. When we think about our focus and our shift in focus of our prayer, ask not what your church or what your Lord can do for you. Ask what you can do for your Lord or church. It changes our focus, doesn't it? And I'll be the first to admit, that's hard to do. It is hard to do. Do you realize, though, that within one mile of our church, there's 20,000 people? Now, a conservative, or maybe, maybe it's not so conservative, number is that about 30% of Americans are born-again Christians. I think it's, that's high, but we're just going to go with that, okay? Now, 69% of Americans claim to be Christian, but only 6% have a biblical worldview. Okay, so there's a disconnect there somewhere, so we're going to kind of go in the middle. That, that most would say around 30% would actually claim I'm a born-again believer. That means 14,000 people within a mile of this church, 4201 West Risinger Road, don't know Jesus. That should impact you. Let's, let's go out a little bit. Two miles, 50,000 people, which means 35,000 people don't know Jesus. And my guess is a big percentage of this church lives outside this two-mile radius. So let's span out just a little bit. How about a five-mile radius? 200,000 people. Depending on who you are, live in walking distance, five miles of this church, which means 140,000 people if they were to enter eternity today, would spend an eternity in judgment. And, and shame on me for making church about me. When there are so many people who need Jesus. Do you know that only 2% of people in America, ages 18 to 29, possess a biblical worldview. 2%. Basically what that means is, that generation, it's my kids' generation, would be classified as an unreached people group. And shame on me for making church about me. 
Romans 12.1. I beg you, Paul says, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, depending on what translation, which is your reasonable act of service or worship or the least you could do. So here we are, back to this word. Would you be willing to say, send me? I surrender.